This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, as you may already know, members of the Federation of Labor gathered in St. John's this week for their annual general meeting and convention and to choose a successor to Mary Shortle, who has stepped down after serving as president for the last nine years. Well, Jessica McCormick was acclaimed to that position this week. She joins me now. Hello. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's been a very busy week, um, but I'm very excited to be uh, taking on this new role. It's an exciting week for the labor movement in Newfoundland and Labrador. You have some pretty big shoes to fill. (laughs) Yes, uh, people have been telling me that quite a bit over the past few days. And um, Mary has quickly, you know, come back and said, well, I have very big feet. (laughs) But, um, you know, Mary has left an incredible uh, legacy of working on behalf of workers in the province. Um, I've benefited from her mentorship and guidance um, over the past number of years. So I uh, I know I'll have her by my side whenever I need it for support, but uh, I am excited to make my own mark on the Federation of Labor uh, now in the years to come. Is she sticking around a little while for the transition, or, or are you on your own? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm on my own in the office here today, but uh, no, she will be sticking around for a few weeks. We'll get to spend some time together, and uh, she'll get me up to date on a few files, and I know that she's only a phone call away um, but we'll we'll have some time together before the new year to uh, to do a bit of a transition yes so you're getting your feet wet uh, trial by fire as they say <laughs> uh, much of a learning curve curve sir uh, no, I, I, you know, I mean, there are going to be issues that I, I need to get up to speed on. But, it, you know, the labor movement and working on behalf of workers is not something that's new to me, Linda. I've, uh, I've been around working in unions for, you know, the past 10 years, um, first starting with the students union um, back when I was at Memorial. Um, and I spent a couple of years there as well as with the Canadian Federation of Students. Um, but I've also, you know, um, spent a number of years working with the Fish Food and Allied Workers Union and then the past few years at NAEP. So I do have a good understanding of the, you know, diversity of issues uh, facing working people in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, So a bit of a learning curve to get started. But, you know, a lot of these issues are ones that we've been tackling for a number of years. And uh, and so I'm I'm looking forward to getting out and talking to people, but also kind of carry on some of the work that I've already started in other places. So what prompted you to seek out the top job? I mean, it's one thing to be working within the labor movement. It's a whole other thing to leap to the the head of of all labor movements, I suppose. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it's something that has always been um, a goal of mine um, since I started working in unions. And when Mary had uh, indicated uh, earlier this year that she was planning to retire, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was a good sign that maybe now was my time. And, you know, of course, I am uh, a young worker, uh, you know, under 35. So uh, I am representing a different uh, demographic within the labor movement. And I think over the years, people say, have said to myself, and I know this is true for other young people, that, you know, maybe you should wait uh, to get some more experience or, or, you know, maybe it's not your turn. But uh, I have been saying that, you know, there's never a more important time for young people to step up into leadership roles and to, you know, be the face and voice of uh, young workers in the province. And, uh, you know, I do have a good chunk of experience behind me and felt that now was the right time uh, to take on that opportunity. And I've benefited from many other people who have come 
before me who have made space for for people like me to take on leadership roles. So that's that's kind of that was my thought process leading up to it, and with the encouragement of Mary um, and with Jerry Earl at NEPA, you know, I put my name forward. And so you were claimed to the position. Are you surprised there wasn't a contest? Well, you know, certainly would have loved to um, have a campaign and, and um, you know, have that debate with uh, with delegates at the convention. But it's also, um, you know, it's a big job to take on. And I understand that not everybody, um, you know, has the, the capacity um, to do this work. Mary certainly has set a high standard for um, the commitment to the position of president. So um, while I would have loved to have a campaign, I also, you know, use the convention and the weeks leading up to it as an opportunity to get out and talk to union leaders to rank and file workers so i you know did my own campaigning um even though i didn't have any competition at the convention um but it was a a great opportunity to talk to nearly 300 um union activists who were all um in town and it was the first time that we got to get together since before the pandemic um so speaking to people you know letting them know who i am um, and talking to them about the you know what matters to them that all happened this week and um, i'm very fortunate that i was acclaimed but uh I certainly would have felt confident had there been an election as well. A very varied um, range of um, unions under the umbrella of the Federation of Labor. I suppose it's going to take some while to get to know all of these different entities and what their needs and their specific, you know, goals are. Indeed, indeed it will. And, and I'm looking forward to getting out and actually meeting with people and spending some time um, with the various unions in the province to talk about the issues. That, that's the great thing about Federation of Labour conventions is that we get everybody together in one room and in the course of a day or even in an hour, you can hear from people who are working in you know, construction, people that are working in manufacturing, um, people that are working in the healthcare system. So there's absolutely no shortage of, of issues to tackle. But it was great to get to hear from people on the ground um, in that space this week. And it gave me a bit of a a, a starting point for the issues that I want to dig into a bit more. And um, I mean, you know, working at NAEP, uh, none of them are, you know, a big secret. We need to tackle, you know, the crisis in our healthcare system and, you know, occupational health and safety. We talked about labor legislation. Um, So, you know, there's no shortage of issues, um, but we've got lots of talented labor activists and people who are representing workers in the province who are going to get me up to speed and work with me on these issues. I mean, that's the main thing that I have been thinking about, Linda, is that, you know, this is, I'm one person in one job, but I have behind me 70,000 workers and the people who they elect to represent them. So I wouldn't say that I'm going it alone in any way. How many unions or, or workers are you representing right now? Uh, right now, the Federation of Labor represents 70,000 unionized workers in the province. That's, uh, I think there's around 25 unions. Um, and, of course, you know, the Federation of Labor is, is composed of unionized workers, but we're also a voice for all workers in the province, including people who don't have a union right now um, and, and need advocates on their behalf. So uh, 70,000 members, but certainly want to try to speak to the issues of everybody that is a worker in Newfoundland and Labrador. No doubt, a huge role and responsibility. Yes, yes, it certainly is, and, and I take it, you know, very seriously. So I've, uh, 
I've been doing my homework and, and starting to talk to people. Um, I know that, uh, you know, there's still lots to learn, but I do appreciate hearing from uh, workers, you know, who I've never met before who are giving me their, their perspective. Um, and we've got, you know, a talented executive board, representatives from many unions uh, alongside me, people who have been around for a number of years and who have that experience and then some other new uh, new faces. So I'll be relying on them as well to, to guide our work in the next three years. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, this week's convention and some of the highlights mm-hmm. that came out of that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is the new president of the Federation of Labour, Jessica McCormick. We'll be back right after this. Save the date. VOCM's Dial a Carol. Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is the new president of the Federation of Labor, Jessica McCormick. And uh, Jessica, you were acclaimed at the uh, recent uh, convention. What were some of the highlights out of this week's convention other than, you know, taking over the lead? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a great convention. And like I said, Linda, the first one since before the pandemic. So there was a lot to talk about. And I think people were just very happy to be back in person, having these discussions with each other, building relationships with other union activists from around the province. Um, you know, some of the key highlights... I'll tell you, we kind of kicked off the convention by talking um, a lot about uh, labor legislation in the province. Um, we had um, a, several guests from around the country, including Patty Coates, who is the president of the Ontario Federation of Labor. And Patty shared some of the, the things that have been happening in Ontario with the um, striking education workers and Premier Doug Ford um, using the notwithstanding clause to, you know, uh, remove the right to strike for those workers. And it was an important conversation for us to have because certainly when when that uh, type of measure is used in one part of the country, it uh, puts a chill on um, workers across the country who fear the same type of, uh, of legislation. So hearing uh, about what's happening in Ontario was very uh, interesting um, for our, our members and um, that kind of uh, dovetailed really nicely into a conversation about uh, much-needed labor legislation reform in this uh, province. Um, you know, we have seen in Newfoundland and Labrador, and really across the country um, and in the United States as well, a real groundswell of support and interest um, in unionizing workplaces from, you know, uh, not-for-profits here in this province, um, you know, healthcare facilities, um, long-term care facilities, but also, you know, workplaces in the service industry, you know, Starbucks and Amazon. We're hearing, uh, you know, every day about a new uh, workplace that is interested in joining a union. But the labor legislation in Newfoundland and Labrador isn't really doing any favors for people who are interested in organizing and bringing democracy to their workplace. So, uh, you know, the, we talked at the convention about a series of recommendations that that we have as a labor movement to reform some uh, some of our labor laws, including bringing back automatic certification, what some listeners might know as card check. Um, and this is the process by which workers sign a union card um, and become a certified union. Right now, there are uh, several steps to that process which leaves time and opportunity for some employers to maybe pressure people into not joining a union. Um, So we're looking for the reintroduction of automatic certification. Um, We're also looking for the province to mirror... um, what the federal government is doing around anti-replacement worker legislation or anti-scab legislation, as some people might know it, 
So the federal government has introduced that legislation, and we're hoping that we'll see the same thing happen provincially so that we can try to avoid um, prolonged uh, strikes and lockouts that we have seen in, in the past few years in this province. Um, we also talked about the concern with contracting out. So when uh, a larger uh, business or corporation um, you know, uh, introduces a new contract, therefore eliminating the union um, in, uh, in their workplace uh, for a bargaining unit and how that kind of um, you know, waters down uh, bargaining rights for workers. Um, and then we also just uh, you know, more generally talked about the frustration that some of our members have with uh, delays at our Labour Relations Board and the need for our provincial government to make significant investments in the board so that workers who are interested in joining a union or workers who bring a concern to the board get responses in a timely manner. Um, I mean, there's a number of issues with uh, with labor legislation in the province, so we're really hoping to um, see some uh, interest in collaboration uh, from Labor Minister Bernie Davis so that we can reform those laws and make sure that they're not tipping the balances in favor of employers, but that they're fair to workers as well. I want to go back to something that you mentioned there, and you, you, you talked about the reintroduction of automatic certification. What's the history on that? I'm not overly familiar with uh, what happened there and why it was removed. Yes, so uh, automatic certification, we only had it for a fairly brief period of time in this province in the mid-2010s. Uh, um, and so it was uh, introduced and then um, under... Um, uh, the Progressive Conservative government in, I believe, 2014, somewhere around then, um, it was removed uh, when uh, some labor legislation was updated. So we only had a very brief window of time um, where we had automatic certification, but it was just introduced this past summer in British Columbia. Um, and uh, and that government and their labor minister had said, you know, there should be nothing that stands in the way of workers uh, wanting to have a democratic say in their working conditions. And, uh, and we're looking for the same um, here in this province. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you just need a handful of union cards to be signed and that automatically everybody has a union. Uh, under under that legislation, there would be a specific threshold that has to be met, um, you know, either a majority or uh, slightly more than a majority of, of workers would need to sign union cards for them to be certified. So it's it's not something that would be entirely new in Newfoundland and Labrador, but, um, you know, we, we didn't have the benefit of having it around for uh, too long and we'd like to see it brought back similar to what we're seeing on the west coast of the country. And of course, it seems to me that uh, this whole concept of anti-replacement worker legislation has been, wow, bounced around forever so long, as long as I can remember anyway. Um, Where are we with that now? And are there any jurisdictions that uh, could serve as a template for that? Absolutely. I mean, again, in in British Columbia, we're seeing similar legislation. But, you know, just in the past uh, month, the federal government has um, uh, said that they will be introducing anti-replacement worker legislation. Um, and that uh, is is part of the, the federal Liberal Party's kind of agreement with the, the NDP to move forward on a number of shared priorities. And so this is one of them. Um, and the federal government is going to be starting consultations on, on that legislation um, leading up to the holidays. So we'll be engaged in that because we have, you know, workers who are impacted by federal legislation as well as provincial legislation here when it comes to that issue. So we'll be engaged in the consultations, but we're also looking for the provincial government to uh, to do something very similar. And you're right, Linda, this is an issue that has been um, kind of at the top of the list of priorities for, for many, many years. And I'm even thinking back to um, not too long ago when workers, uh, uniform members at DJ Composites and Gander um, had a prolonged um, 
lockout and the importance of having that anti-replacement worker legislation um, in a labor dispute like that. And I think that, you know, when when you're not in inside the labor movement, it can seem like a, a controversial topic to say that, you know, it, it often pits workers against each other, you know, um, when an employer brings in in replacement workers. But unfortunately, when when that happens, it means that it really prolongs the labor dispute and, and really, I think, makes it difficult for um, uh, an, a resolution to be found. So it is an important piece of, of legislation. Um, and it is great to see that the federal government is moving forward on that. So we really need our provincial government to to follow their uh, their counterparts and uh, and do the same here. Um, and so that's going to be, you know, one of a number of priorities. The campaign that we're launching is called Put Workers First, and it's, it's focused around labor law reform, um, a lot of it for unionized workers. But, you know, there's important pieces of, of legislation that impacts non-unionized workers as well. So um, it's very, you know, broad, wide-reaching campaign, and we're looking forward to meeting with uh, Provincial Minister um, and the Premier to talk about it. In terms of the anti-replacement worker legislation, is there an appetite for that, uh, uh, you know, on the government side of things? I mean, I know it can be uh, somewhat tricky and there are difficulties intrinsic to that in that mm-hmm. it depends on the workplace, it depends on the services that are provided, and it depends on the impact on the overall community, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it does. And, and, and you know, certainly it's, it's not a it is a complex piece of legislation to introduce. Um, you know, we've had good conversations with the provincial government about it. Um, I know, um, you know, a provincial NDP MHA Jordan. Um, uh, oh, geez. Jordan <laughs> Brown. <laughs> Jordan Brown, sorry. Um, uh, Jordan Brown asked a question about it in the House of Assembly uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think. So the conversation is getting started. Um, and I and I do think that, you know, people are open to it, particularly because this is one tool in the toolbox for trying to avoid prolonged disputes. And, and we can do it in such a way that is, that is fair to workers and employers that ensures that essential services are delivered to communities when they need them. Um, um, but also, you know, does the right thing for the people who are on strike. I mean, this is a, this is a serious thing about when workers decide to go on strike. I mean, that is the most powerful tool that we have, um, and we don't use it lightly. Um, when you withhold your labor, it's something that um, you do when you have no other alternative resolution. So when workers are on strike, um, you know, it, it's not an ideal situation to be in, but it's even less ideal um, when replacement workers are brought in um, because you it's it's hard to see a light at the end of that tunnel. So um, we've had some good conversation about it. And uh, with the legislation moving through federal government, hopefully that will be the, the extra push that we need provincially. Our guest today on On Target is the new president of the Federation of Labor. Jessica McCormick will be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Our guest today is President of the Federation of Labour. Jessica McCormick took over from Mary Shortle during the uh, convention held by the Federation of Labour in St. John's this week. And uh, Jessica, you mentioned um, part of the, I guess, benefit of being part of these big conventions is the networking and getting to know the various unions and leadership. Um, Anything, uh, did you learn anything through that process, getting to know some of these people and seeing them face to face? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gotten to talk to a number of, of uh, you know, representatives of unions that I hadn't seen in, in a number of years and hearing, you know, firsthand some of their experience, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, particularly powerful um, during the convention, Linda, was our conversation around occupational health and safety um, and, and just hearing um, what many workers in the province are experiencing in the workplace when it comes to violence. Um, we had a very significant discussion um, and heard from many healthcare workers, both, you know, registered nurses, nurse practitioners, LPNs, um, many other professionals in the healthcare context, but also, you know, child and youth care workers and home care workers who are experiencing violence um, in the workplace on a daily basis um, and, and how that impacts them both at work, but also when they go home after, um, after their shift and I mean there's no um, better way to to learn about these issues than by hearing from people on the front lines who experience it day to day so it was um, a very powerful part of the convention this week and a really crucial part of the work that we do as representatives of workers is try to address issues like violence in the workplace, like occupational health and safety, so that, you know, every worker, regardless of the type of job they do or the industry they work in, comes home safe at the end of the day. So that was something that really stood out to me this week and will be really important to our, our federation in the months to come. And we've been talking about violence in the workplace and uh, how, uh, you know, it appears to be increasing. I don't know, you might, might have better I- idea than I. Um, but how do you address that? Is it, uh, are there root causes to some of that? Is it to some of the things that we're seeing in society of late? Uh, what's behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a number of causes of that. And, and certainly when it comes to our healthcare system, when the system is in crisis and both patients and the people that work within it um, are, you know, reaching a breaking point that manifests in in, in violence in the workplace. Um, you know, there are, there are a number of different things that need to happen to address it. But one of the key points that came up at the convention was the need to establish, um, you know, a, a type of provincial working group similar to what we see for, um, you know, occupational health and safety in other in other industries that specifically, uh, you know, gets together to address to address violence in the workplace, and then to also be there for people if they do, in you know, unfortunately experience it. How do we support people after the fact through, you know, mental health resources, um, for example? So. You know, I I don't think there's one key reason why violence in the workplace is happening, but it does seem, um, you know, particularly after the pandemic um, or, you know, we're still in the pandemic during the pandemic that it has it is on the rise. um, And and that was, you know, very clear hearing from um, um, healthcare workers this week at the convention. Any other issues that uh, were raised with you that uh, perhaps you weren't as familiar with as others uh, or or took you by surprise? You know, I don't think anything was was surprising. Um, I mean, another another issue that um, that is important to to all workers in the province is our healthcare system, as I've said. So, um, and and this has been in the news uh, quite a bit, and and has been a long-standing challenge. The the crisis in our healthcare system. So, you know, we did certainly talk about retention and recruitment of healthcare workers, but also the creeping privatization um, that we're seeing. And uh, I mean, another issue that is is certainly not new um, but uh, you know with a system that is in the state that it's in um, you know this is the opportunity for privatization to kind of creep in and this is you know when people are 
you know, don't have a family doctor or are, you know, facing significant wait times or are waiting months to see a specialist for treatment, um, you know, it can be incredibly frustrating and privatization may seem like the only solution. But, um, you know, for our Federation of Labor and for the people who are working in our public health care system, you know, the solution really has to be more significant investment, um, both provincially and federally, to address those issues. So that, you know, isn't necessarily something that's new, Linda, but something that will continue to be, um, you know, a major, uh, major area of concern for our federation. And um, the, I guess the other, the other point on that kind of health and health and safety front, um, we did also talk about the need for transparency around um, health and safety in the workplace. And uh, in other parts of the country, I think um, in Ontario, um, employers are required to be transparent about health and safety reports. So if workers are injured on the job, that's some you know information that is publicly available. Um, but it's not something that we have here in this province. And I think uh, you know our, our Federation of Labor uh, Safety Sector Advisor was on BOCM speaking about that this week as well. The need for more transparency when it comes to safety reports, so that people know you know wh- what kind of jobs they're walking into and whether or not it's a safe one. Um, all really long-standing issues, for sure. For sure, and yeah, we were all well aware of the issues um, facing the healthcare uh, situation here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and right across the country, for that matter. In fact, Open Line is nonstop uh, talking mm-hmm. about some of these things. And you, you mentioned creeping privatization. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, it, it, it uh, it's not like we're, you know, you know, uh, we, we're saying now you have to pay for your surgery in the hospital, but we see it in smaller ways, like the introduction of private health clinics um, that are, you know, doing blood collection for, say, $30. Um, that's the kind of smaller ways that we start to see privatization introduced in the system. And it's not necessarily replacing the public system, but when that becomes more accessible to the general public than the public system, it, you know, that inevitably inevitably will grow. Um, we heard from people, you know, in this province, but also, you know, uh, representatives of workers in other parts of the country who see the effects of privatization in areas like uh, long-term care in Ontario. Um, and and we see it happening here where the system has been, I think, you know, neglected for a number of years. Um, so it's more difficult to find a family doctor. It's more difficult to get appointments, as I said. Um, and then the only solution is, well, if we if we privatize that and if you, you know, say pay $30 to get, to get blood work done, then that's not so bad. But it can become a much bigger issue with time if we continue to neglect it. Um, and, you know, we don't want to go down the road of having a healthcare system like what we see um, in the United States. Um, but also, you know, when it comes to those, you know, what seem like more minor services like blood collection, um, there's still a great many people in this province who can't afford $30 um, to uh, to get, you know, their, their blood tested. And so um, we're creating a system where, you know, you're getting better access if you're somebody that has more money, and that's not something that we want to see happen. And for people working in the sector, um, you know, they are feeling burned out. They have difficulty getting time off. Um, they're under immense pressure. Um, and, you know, private healthcare providers um, are, you know, trying to lure them away from our public system uh, by saying that you can have a better work-life balance in this 
in this privatized model. Um, and what we're saying is we need our government to step up and make the right kind of changes and provide the right kind of supports to healthcare workers so that they can have a good work-life balance, they can have safety in the workplace, they can be paid well with uh, you know decent uh, benefits and, and job security in the public system. Um, that's the model that we need to see thrive. Um, but when we have these kind of smaller examples of privatization creeping in, that erodes our public system. And so that's something that, you know, as a federation of labor, we are going to want to oppose and push back against and really put our efforts along with our counterparts at, the, you know, the various public sector unions um, in the province toward you know, pressuring government to ensure that they're making the kind of investments we need to make to have a strong public health care system. I know one of the arguments that's used, and you gave the, the private blood clinics as an example, is that uh, some of these services can help take all that pressure off. Uh, you know, when you have um, waiting rooms that are filled with people just waiting to get their blood work done, why not make an appointment, get your get someone come down to your house or do something like that and take some of that pressure off the system? Is there an argument to be made there? Right. Well, I, th- I think that the pressure can be taken off the system through more of these collaborative clinics that we're seeing our provincial government introduce. Um, I mean, it's, and it's a very similar kind of model, a place where you can, you know, potentially see a family doctor or a nurse practitioner. You can, you know, you know, potentially have x-rays done. You can have blood collected um, in a bit of a one-stop shop. We need more of that model um, within our public health care system, I believe. So that does take the pressure off emergency room, but we need to see more of it. Um, and, and so I don't necessarily believe that short-term fixes when it comes to privatization in the long term are going to benefit the public system. What about the general structure of uh, the healthcare system? I know that uh, a lot of uh, people, and some would argue rightfully so, are moving into like you know sort of more casual positions, putting more pressure on permanent uh, positions, and then those permanent workers who are stressed out are leaving. Uh, so, mm-hmm. how can we structure, I suppose, um, work within the healthcare system so that it, you know that work-life balance is more evenly spread out? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I, I mean we've heard that from people who are working in many different, you know, types of classifications within the healthcare system. Work-life balance is so important. I mean, it's so important in in many industries. But you know, I think that um, if we're hearing a lot of people, you're, you know, seeing people choose casual work rather than um, permanent full-time positions, that is an indication that people are burned out. And it's and it's coming, you know, from people who are newly, you know, graduated from from various programs. So that means that our system, you know, we really do need reform and change. So I think, you know, investments to ensure that people, um, you know, have have some work-life balance. That includes, you know, finding more people to come and work within our system. So paying people well, um, ensuring that they have benefits, um, ensuring that they can take time off when they need to to retain them, but also recruiting more people to come into our system. And what we're seeing, Linda, actually just to, you know, bring in privatization to the conversation again is people being drawn away to the private sector, as I said. So we're losing people from our public health care system, which is putting that strain and, and you know, you know, pushing people towards casual work. Um, but we do need permanent uh, full-time people working in the healthcare system, but we need to make those jobs good jobs worth doing. So um, that means re- recruiting more people. And I know that that's work that's happening uh, provincially, um, but uh, but that's going to take a bit more time, uh, I think, to address. So retaining the people that we've got now is, is critical. I mean, 
I think in a number of industries, you know, contract work and precarious work, um, it's it's not necessarily great in the long term for people. But when you you know haven't had a day off in in months, uh, sometimes it feels like the only option. So, um, I mean, there's just so many elements of our healthcare system that we need to improve. Um, but just making the lives of the people working in that system a little bit better is something that needs to needs to happen. Is that I know that you know the Federation of Labor is a huge umbrella, but is that the the biggest priority area right now, healthcare? I mean, it is a big priority area. There are many, <laughs> there are many big priority areas for us. We do have a significant number of members who work in the healthcare system, and we also know that all of our members will benefit from a good, strong, um, accessible public healthcare system because everybody needs it. Um, it will be a key priority, and I know it is for um, you know the members of the federation at the RNU, QB, NAPE, AHP. Um, but we also, you know, we we have a number of priorities. The labor legislation that I spoke about is important to us. Um, pay equity legislation, which was just recently um, passed uh, by the provincial government. You know, we need to do a lot of work on that front. That is woefully inadequate legislation. Um, so, you know, it, it, we have we have a lot to do here and. And, um, and so we try to cover as many bases as possible, but certainly healthcare is a big one. Um, and uh, with the health accord and, you know, working alongside our affiliate members, we need to, you know, raise our voice in that on that front as well. Um, I'm just checking to see. <laughs> uh, Dave, you there? Did, did you sneak in? Yes, sorry. I was looking for my uh, producer. I was going to take a short break now because I can get the sense that that was a lot to deal with right there. So we'll take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with President of the Federation of Labor, Jessica McCormick, right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Jessica McCormick, President of the Federation of Labor. And uh, Jessica, of course, this is uh, 2022 now. It feels like uh, we've been facing a whole pile of challenges over the last few years. Uh, What are some of your priorities moving forward? Well, you know, right off the bat, Linda, we, um, I mentioned just before the break, pay equity legislation. And, um, you know, that was introduced by the provincial government and moved through fairly quickly after, I think, a lot of um, outcry from, from the public and from stakeholders about the, the delays and seeing it introduced. That's going to be something that is kind of at the top of the list in the next few weeks to uh, tackle. The Federation of Labor has a number of recommendations um, that we want to bring forward to government to improve this legislation, um, you know, the, the first and foremost being that we need to be at the table to be involved in it, um, in, in developing regulations, but also to try to improve what was what was passed. Um, we see some significant gaps in terms of how it applies to private sector employers. Um, we have pretty good coverage when it comes to pay equity in the public sector, but um, not a whole lot when it comes to private sector employers. And a lot of the people who experience the most significant gender wage gap were um, in you know that kind of retail hospitality industry, for example, 
who would be working in the private sector. So um, that's something that is that is at the top of the list um, and and some of the issues around labor legislation that I spoke about earlier in our conversation. Um, we'll be getting kind of into those in, in the next few weeks as well. So, um, you know, no shortage of work to do. And, and of course, for me, I need to get out and, and you know, talk to people around the province, uh, workers, and hear their issues and listen to, uh, you know, the people who represent them and, um, and try to get up to speed on what's been what's what's going on on the ground so that'll be kind of my priorities um and then whatever uh you know is brought forward by our members we're a member-driven organization and um and so my agenda is set by the workers of the province i know no doubt the last few days have been a bit of a whirlwind but (laughs) have you had an opportunity or do you plan to have an opportunity to meet with uh, labor minister bernard davis and and premier andrew fury well, I hope to do that um, very soon. I, I saw a tweet from Minister Davis uh, yesterday congratulating me, and so I look forward to meeting with him very soon. I had an opportunity to very quickly chat with Minister Pam Parsons earlier today at the Purple Ribbon um, flag raising, so I'm hoping to you know, get to meet with her soon to talk about pay equity. Um, you know, I, I, I do hope to have a collaborative relationship with our provincial government. I think that um, you know, the Federation of Labor at times, you know, we're always a voice for working people. And at times we have to be a voice of opposition um, with our provincial government. But we also have to find ways to work together because we need to advance the issues that our members um, ask us to advance. So I am, you know, hoping to uh, to work collaboratively with uh, with Minister Davis and and chat about that very soon because we've got a lot of work to do. Indeed, and uh, a lot of work has been done and a lot of work uh, left to do. Uh, But uh, the last couple of years, very challenging for workers indeed. All of us have had to adjust to this new reality of uh, living with the pandemic. A lot of those restrictions are eased, but I think it's fair to say in the back of our minds, we're still uneasy. And that affects Mm -hmm. your performance and that affects the way you do things. And uh, it affects policymaking within the workplace. Uh, How do you see 2023 shaping up? Well, I think that it's this is a, a really significant opportunity for us um, as representatives of workers to try to um, make changes, you know, systemic changes to address the gaps in our, you know, in our workplaces, in our uh you know, public policy that have not served workers very well over the past three years. So even though people are feeling tired and worn down from three years of a pandemic, I hope that there's some energy. Um, I certainly have some energy around trying to make some positive improvements to the working conditions of people in this province based on what we've learned over the past three years. So, um, you know, I'm, I am hopeful on that front, Linda. And I think that, you know, uh, we called people heroes at the beginning of the pandemic. We have relied on so many people and on the front line over the past three years. And now is our time to reevaluate how we really treat uh, working people in the province and, and try to improve the standard of living for all people. So, um, you know, not to sound too, uh, you know, cliche about it all. I think that this is a really great opportunity to make some meaningful change. Well, it's one month till Christmas, hard to imagine, Uh, but as the year starts to wind down now, what's your message to workers, uh, your members, and, and the province as a whole? Well, 
there's never been a more important time for working people to stand up and raise their voice and talk about what their experiences are on the job, what their working conditions are like, and what they want to see change, um, both at you know at work and and in the province. So, um, you know, my message to people is that I will be there alongside you to amplify your voices um, and to fight for a better you know wages, better benefits, better working conditions for everybody whether they are a union member or not. Um, You know, it's a good time to join a union as well. And so for people who don't have a union in their workplace, but who want to have a say, who want to have a democratic say in their working conditions, you know, unionize and, and, uh, and we will fight for you as well. Um, So that, I mean, that's my message, Linda. And, and, you know, I hope that we will, you know, start 2023 with, um, you know, a vision for how we can, you know, make this province better for working people because we're the people that make the province work. Um, and, and without us, you know, the wheels wouldn't turn. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to working on behalf of, of the people of the province um, and trying to uh, make lives better for, for working people. So I'm looking forward to this job and I feel very honored and privileged to have the opportunity. Well, Jessica McCormick, uh, once again, congratulations on uh, taking on this uh, big role. Um, uh, I look forward to uh, many chats in the in the future <laughs> between you and I. Um, thanks once again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, join us today. Thank you so much, Linda. I look forward to talking to you a bunch more in the in the weeks and months to come for sure. Uh, That's Jessica McCormick, the new president of the Federation of Labor. We'll be back on Monday. Do join us then. In the meantime, have a great weekend, everyone, and thanks for listening.